0: Privilege to um, say hello to everyone here. I don't know if I've met everyone, but I'm really happy to see you here. I wanted to ask, and I just wonder how many people have come to this church or even tonight because a friend invited them. That's yeah, yeah, all over the auditorium. So, you know, I just met Wendy, but. A friend told me about Wendy. I don't know if you remember Marcy Rowe, but from Dayton Vineyard, she told me about Wendy. And she said, you've got to hear her. She's just amazing. Of course, I got to meet Steve, but I've been going like, when can we meet Wendy? (laughs) So it was very, very cool that she agreed to come to be with us and I I look forward to years of friendship, a new friendship. Um, It's very exciting but Wendy, um, I have come to know Wendy from afar because I've signed up for her feasting on the spirit, um, 28 days of feasting in the spirit and she's introduced me to a new um, understanding of my spirit, um, communing with his spirit and the interesting thing is that Uh, Many of you know um, Georgian Banoff and his wife, Winnie, um, wrote a book. It's kind of a workbook called Love Letters. So this year, instead of reading through the Bible, I've decided just kind of listen to God. And, okay, I want to do my love letters. It's a Song of Solomon and Romans 8. But as I was doing that, I keep getting drawn back to those emails that Wendy sent on Feasting of the Spirit. And they've dovetailed, and I am just kind of like amazed at how God is teaching me more about who I am, how much He loves me, and how I can know Him so personally through friendship with Him. So would you stand up and step into what God has for you tonight? And welcome Wendy, in Jesus' name. God bless you. Are you. Do you need this? Can I use that? One? Okay. Here you go. Yeah. Can I just pray for you? Yeah. Yes, God. Just extend your hand towards Wendy. And Father, we just thank you for the gift that uh, Wendy is to us, and the gift that you're going to just release through your Spirit, through her Spirit to this body and um, all those that are listening, in Jesus' name. Amen.
1: What a privilege to be here. Um, My husband and I travel a lot, and it's just so fun to find where the fires are and then pour oil on it, you know. (laughs) We don't really have anything new. We're just going to stir up stuff that God's probably already talked to you about. That's what I love about Holy Spirit. So many times when we speak, people go, that's exactly what God was telling me about. But how many of you know we need confirmation, you know, especially if it's weird, (laughs) you know. And I've lived in the weird for a long time, so I especially needed, you know, confirmation because that's what the spirit world, it's, you know, it's a little out of our league, (laughs) And um, so I'm very passionate about hope, joy, and living from the Spirit. So my husband and I got saved in um, 75. We were your average hippie out in California, you know, searching for truth in all the wrong places, and got introduced to Jesus. And the first couple of years, it was great really good. We were radically saved. Unfortunately, after about two years, we drifted into just religion and performance. And I was dying. I was like, I, I can't perform this long. You know, I just don't have the energy for it. And for some reason, we thought it would be a good idea. We were on staff at a church. We were both getting burnout, And we thought, you know, maybe the best thing to do is just become senior leaders of a church. (laughs) Don't you love God's mercy, though? So we went out to um, the state of Nevada, the middle of the state, middle of nowhere. We became pastors. And it was kind of find God in a new way or die. (laughs) And... Luckily, we had heard Bill Johnson in 1990, just before we moved to Nevada, and we recognized life when we saw it. So we invited him to be our guest speaker in 91 out in Nevada, and it was so transformational. The first 15 years of our Christian life, we were stuck in Romans 12.1, which is giving yourself as a living sacrifice to God, which is your reasonable service, you know, so Our first 15 years was about sacrificing everything, which is still a good thing. You know, we sacrificed our time, our dreams, our money, everything. And I was really struggling though because I wasn't changing on the inside. We were doing different things on the outside, but nothing was changing on the inside. My husband's a lot more self disciplined than I am, so he was able to keep up the show. but we all run out. <laughs> and we were out in the middle of the desert in Nevada and God opened up our eyes to Romans 12:2, which is be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Because sacrifice will not transform you. It's good, but you won't be transformed by it. The only way to be transformed is to change what you believe. It's not just renewing your mind by memorizing the Bible. It's actually, deep down inside, changing what you currently believe about yourself, about your circumstances, about God. And so we went on this journey of transformation. But the problem is is that God got really personal with how he wanted us to be transformed. He started saying things to me like, Winty, are you willing to sacrifice your belief that you're shy? And I'm like, um, but that one's true. <laughs> I've got years of experiential proof of shyness. And then he said, are you willing to sacrifice your belief that you don't speak well in front of people? And I'm like, but that one's true too. And what we discovered is it's actually harder to sacrifice your beliefs than your actions. Because we are so convinced that some things are true that aren't. and So God started giving me prophetic words through people, through the word, telling me who I am, and I would argue, and I'd say, no, that's not me. I'm inadequate. I'm shy. I don't speak well in front of people. And he said, Wendy, that's not who you are. That's just who you've become. And there's a big difference between who you are and what you've become. See, we tend to think that we define ourselves by what we've done or not done. And that's the wrong way. You know, why are we smart enough to know that an apple tree is still an apple tree even if it's never had apples? I mean, here in this area, if an apple tree dies before it has apples, what do you call it? (laughs) It's still an apple tree. Because it doesn't get its identity from what it's done. It gets its identity from what it was created to do. Why are we smart enough to recognize that, but we're not smart enough, or at least I wasn't, to understand that our identity doesn't come from what we've done. It's from what we were created to do. Who are we? If we cannot define ourselves by what we've done or not done, then we have to begin to define ourselves by what God says we are. At some point, we have to decide okay, I am going to get my identity from the Word of God, not from my experience. So we delved into Romans 12:2, be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And I looked up that word transformed and in the Greek it's the same word that we get the word metamorphosis from which is caterpillars turning into butterflies and I read this article in a science magazine once that said caterpillars do not evolve into butterflies see I kept waiting for myself to evolve into a good Christian You know, if I just add enough years, surely I will become a good Christian. They actually have two distinct sets of DNA. And while it's a caterpillar, the butterfly DNA is dormant. But when it goes into the cocoon, the caterpillar DNA begins to die off and slough away. And this is a quote from this article I read. The butterfly DNA rises up and creates a whole new creation. Does that sound familiar? <laughs> and I remember reading that and thinking, "Oh, that's my problem. I've been trying to become a better caterpillar." God does not require caterpillars to fly but he does require butterflies. The only reason God can require righteousness and the miraculous from us is because we're no longer a caterpillar. We have a whole new DNA. But we have to believe it's there. I remember re- I love science for some reason, but I remember reading an article once That the average person, this wasn't a Christian article, the average person never moves out of the same economic or social sphere that they were born into. And in the article, they said, and it's not because they're not trying, it's actually within our DNA as humans to improve ourselves. So everybody's always trying to improve their financial situation, their social situation, whatever it is. So everybody's trying. And in the article, they said, the reason most people don't succeed is because they try to do something different before they believe something different. If we don't believe we can succeed, you're... Most of us are living at the level of life that we think we deserve. If we don't change some beliefs, you know, that I, I realized that's why I kept getting stuck. I kept trying to try harder to change, but what I was doing is trying to change the outer before I changed the inner. I think it was, um, is it John Maxwell? <laughs> had a brain freeze, who said that you can't move forward on the outside until you move forward on the inside. We have to believe something different about ourselves. The problem in, in the church, though, is we have been taught so strongly this fear of pride, this fear of stealing God's glory. You know, so we were actually put in this box where we don't want to think too highly of ourselves. In the 80s, it was a common phrase. You don't want to steal God's glory. So nobody did anything glorious. (laughs) And then one day I heard God say, Wendy, you can be as glorious as you want. And I'm like, that can't be God. And he said, yeah, don't worry. You'll never come close. (laughs) And it hit me, the only people who are worried about stealing God's glory are the ones who don't know how glorious he is. He is not intimidated by your glory. There's no competition. And pride isn't thinking you're great. Pride is thinking you're greater than other people. We need the church to rise up in its greatness because your greatness becomes my breakthrough. My greatness becomes your breakthrough. And together, we become a mighty army. But we have to get over the fear of the greatness that's within us. We have to reveal a glorious Jesus we have to know that we're not even human anymore. You know, that scripture that says we're a new creation, it actually means we're a whole new prototype, something never seen before. You know, I I love that scripture, but the question that it brings to my mind is if, if I'm no longer human, if I'm a new creation, then what am I? And what am I capable of being and doing? You know, in the, the New Testament, it talks about how Jesus said that we're supposed to go and heal the sick and raise the dead, you know, all this stuff that seems so impossible. And I, I had this thought one day. You know, when my, my we have three grown children, but when they were little... We started them young at appropriate ages with jobs around the house so that they weren't just consumers, that they felt like they were part of the family. One of the first jobs we gave was our oldest son was supposed to get all the garbage cans in different rooms, the small ones, and empty them into the big garbage can. And so, you know, that was one of his jobs. So one day I'm meditating on this whole thing about, you know, raising the dead and healing the sick and I I had this vision of the father son and Holy Spirit there in heaven this isn't scripture this is just me thinking (laughs) and the father goes you know we've got all these newborn children coming into the family they're young they don't know much what kind of simple jobs can we give them to make them feel like a part of the family and I'm picturing Jesus I know I know let's have them raise the dead and heal the sick. Because in his economy, that's probably like taking out the garbage. What would happen if You had a boss who said, one of your main jobs every day is to come and empty the garbage cans. Well, you wouldn't go into his office every morning and go, oh, please, boss, empty the garbage. Empty the garbage. And he'd say, well, I I told you to empty the garbage. Oh, I don't want to steal your glory. (laughs) This so powerful to empty the garbage. his economy is different. Evidently, that's not that big of a thing in heaven. You know, if you start creating new universes, I might say, you know, don't steal God's glory. (laughs) We have to know that we are capable of so much more than what we're living I had a, 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 you know, one of those life-changing moments with God that I I love. But we were pastoring in Nevada still. It was in the 90s. And um, I'd gotten up in the middle of the night, and I was just waiting on God. And uh, he referred me to a scripture I'd read earlier that day. You know, after Jesus died, the disciples were all in that locked room. And um, Jesus just appears in the room. And I had gotten nothing out of my Bible reading that day. But that night, it was 3 a.m., I remember it so distinctly. Because I'm waiting on God, and I hear Jesus say, Hey, Wendy, do you know how I got into the locked room? And I'm like, well, I've seen ghost movies. And in all the ghost movies, when you die, you don't have any substance, and so you can walk through walls. And he goes, no, I'm more real than the wall. And I'm I'm trying to get my head around that, and he goes, the creator cannot have less substance than the creation. And something shifted in me, because his realm always seemed so nebulous without substance. This realm seemed so much more real and, and heavy. But when he said that, I realized his realm has more substance than this realm. Spirit created this realm. Therefore, spirit is what will influence it. And guess what you are? You're more spirit than flesh. The real you is spirit. When your body dies, what remains? Yeah. And it's living in you right now with so much capability. We just have to learn how to pull on what we are now. But to do that, we have to change the way we think. Because we don't really believe everything we think we believe. (laughs) A few years ago, I... uh, since my husband and I travel a lot, I don't have an office. And so when I would meet with people, I always met at the same coffee shop. I'd have my assistant you know, make all the appointments. and So probably for five or six years, that's what, same coffee shop, all these meetings. And then one of our ex-interns opened up a coffee shop. So I told my assistant, from now on, make all my appointments at his place, because I want to support him. And so the first week comes around where my appointments are at the new coffee shop. And my conscious mind knew I was going to a new coffee shop. Unfortunately, on the way, my conscious mind started to think about something else. And I ended up parked in front of the old coffee shop. Car was turned off and everything. And I'm sitting there thinking, what am I doing here? This isn't where I wanted to go. And I did that two and a half times that week. (laughs) The half was I almost went to the old coffee shop. But while I was making a U-turn to go to the right place, I heard God say, Wendy, unless you change the spirit of your mind, you'll always end up where you've always been. Because your conscious mind is not what drives you. That's why while we're consciously trying to change into the image of Christ, we can do it. But as soon as we get tired or our mind starts thinking about something else, guess what's going to drive you? Your old habit patterns and belief systems. God told me, Wendy, you the only way you'll know whether you believe something in the word or not is if it's actually changed your emotions. It actually has to change what you feel. Because our feelings are based on what we really believe. That's why we can think, I believe that God's going to come through, but we're still worried. I mean, that's how God challenged me. He said, Wendy, do you believe I'm going to meet all your needs? And I'm like, oh, yes. And I quoted scripture him, you know, so he'd know. <laughs> I got that one down. I know you're going to meet all my needs. And he, he just goes, then why are you worried? And I'm like, do my emotions have to believe it too? And he said, that's how you'll know you believe it. And that's not for condemnation. That's so we know what the issue is. And faith comes by hearing, declaring, making a, a decision to actually change the deep-seated beliefs that are in our subconscious belief systems. I uh, was reading a, a secular book by a brain scientist. And in the book, she, she tells her story where she was at the top of the field of brain scientists, whatever the top of that is. Um, and she had a stroke and she lost the complete use of the side of your brain that you need to be a scientist. And her mom decided to do the rehabilitation herself because she wanted her to have everyday stuff so she brought her home got all the info from the doctors what she needed to do and uh, the doctor said well the first thing you should do is get toddler puzzles you know the ones with only five to ten pieces and help her put it together because you want to retrain her brain and so she pours the puzzle out on the desk in front of her daughter, and she says, okay, honey, the first thing we're going to do is turn the puzzle pieces all right side up. And she says, what's right side up? And she goes, well, look, one side has color and one side doesn't. And she goes, what's color? She wasn't seen in color. So her mom, I don't know how she did this, began to talk to her about color and how you could see the hues and depths and darkness and... All of that. And she said, as soon as my brain understood the concept of color, I began to see in color. And then her mom discovered that she was only seeing one dimensionally. So everything was like a photograph. And she said her sense of dimension was so impaired that she could not tell where she began and ended. I mean, there was no depth, perception, nothing. So her mom begins to talk to her about dimension and how you can tell. Some things are further away and some are up close. And she said, as soon as my brain understood the concept of dimension, I began to see three-dimensionally. And I had the thought, I've been reading the Bible all wrong. What if the Bible is God's attempt to give our brain the concept of another realm. I'm feeling brains twist, sorry. (laughs) What if we're supposed to be able to see both realms as new creations? Our brain actually In science, they say that your brain is only conscious of 40% of what your eye is actually seeing. Look around the room. Is it scary to know that you just only saw 40% of it? Our brain looks for things that it has a pattern for, an experience of. Less than half of what you're conscious of is what your eye is actually seeing. Could it be that we're actually created to see the unseen realm? Unless you're born again, you cannot see it implies if you're born again, you can see. There's something about changing the way we think. I mean, I, I got so excited about this whole concept of renewing the mind, you know, recognizing where the lies are in my life, and having hope that... My husband actually has said that I'm the most transformed person he's ever met. The first time I ever spoke in front of a crowd, it was like a huge crowd of like 20 people. (laughs) And I fasted all day because I was going to speak for five minutes. And I stood up, got in front of the people, started crying, and just turned around and sat down. And I said, I will never speak in public again. God's got a real sense of humor. But also, some of the things that we're most afraid of is, our des- is in our destiny. Because the enemy wants you to be afraid of what you're called to. But I had to change what I believed. I started getting prophetic words that I was a teacher. And at first, it was irritating. Because I kept thinking, I'm not a teacher, that involves public speaking. And that's the one thing I'm not gonna do. And um, he just, I mean, don't you hate it when you keep getting the same awful prophetic word over and over again? <laughs> Complete strangers telling you. And so I, I started paying attention to it, started, you know, halfway believing, okay, well, maybe I am supposed to do this. And what set me free, was we, it was in the 90s, Bill had come out to speak, and back then, this was early 90s, he wasn't seeing the miraculous, the stuff that he sees nowadays, he was still pastoring in Weaverville, and he would dream while he's speaking, he would just talk about what God had shown him, and one day he's preaching and he goes, there's coming a day, When all we're gonna have, the anointing is gonna be so great that all we're gonna have to do is say peanut butter. And people will yell out, What must I do to be saved? (laughs) And I had this thought oh, I can say peanut butter. And and as soon as I had that thought, I heard God say, yes, Wendy, I don't want you to have faith in your ability to speak. I want you to have faith in my ability to anoint what you say. I was like, oh, no pressure then. And I love to take God's promises and just see how far I can run with it. So I'm thinking, oh, then I can say it all wrong and you can still set people free. I mean, that's how big he is. And something miraculous happens when you take all the pressure off yourself. All I have to do is open my mouth, and you're going to do something. You know, my husband and I, we were passionate about Jesus. And we were always saying, God, we want to do great things for you. We want to have influence on the world for Jesus. And, and we heard God say, you know, instead of doing great things, why don't you have great faith for the things you're already doing? Say, Can you do that? I said, "Yeah, you know, if your job is cleaning toilets in this season, have great faith for cleaning toilets. The next person who sits on this toilet's going to have an encounter with Jesus. Whoever sits on this toilet's going to be instantly healed." I fully believe that if we did things like that with great faith, we'd have people lined up to use our toilets. You know, word will get out. It's not about doing great things. It's about having great faith. Usually, if we're trying to do something for Jesus and it's not working, we usually ask the question, what am I doing wrong? Or what's wrong with me? You know, I I spent so many years thinking there was just something wrong with me. I'm just still not worthy enough. God can't trust me. But the real question isn't, what are you doing wrong? The real question is, what are you believing when you do it? And I realized that even sometimes when I was obeying the voice of the Lord, I had no faith in what I was doing. I was just doing it because he told me to. I called it blind obedience. But guess what? Faith isn't blind. It's visionary. Faith is visionary. You have to see something different. Faith means you see something nobody else can see. It doesn't mean you're, you know, ignoring the problem when the 12 spies went in to check out the promised land, they all came back with part of the same report. There's giants in the land. Joshua and Caleb weren't in denial. They didn't come back and say, "Joshua, did you see giants? I didn't see any giants." They admitted there were giants but they saw something besides the giants. Ten of the spies said, we're really small. The giants are really big. Caleb and Joshua said, they look like lunch to me. Your problem's not your problem. Your perspective is. It's how you see. It's what you believe. What have you been declaring? I had no idea how negative I was until God started talking to Steve and I about declaring different things over our life. And then we went back to our hometown where we had been saved and a friend of mine said, oh, do you remember those days we would take walks and talk about how you know, decrepit we were going to be when we were old? And I'm like... Did I really? <laughs> the things that we believe. You know, we like to challenge our beliefs. You know, for instance, we started traveling a lot and people started telling us, you know, what to expect, you know. You have to, you know, be careful of the, um, what's it called when you're... <laughs> You're changing time zones a lot. Jet lag. So we had all these warnings. Yeah, jet lag, this is what you do for it. Steve and I decided, let's not believe in jet lag. So we started declaring jet bounce. And very seldom, I mean, I've never experienced jet lag the way other people described it. And very seldom do we have it. You know, we tend to think the, the experts are always right until you realize the experts at one point said that it was physically impossible for a man to run a mile under four minutes. They had physical reasons why a man can't do that until Roger Bannister did it. what if the experts are really just experts on what the past is? (laughs) When God told me to start writing books, I tried to tell him, I can't write books. I've never done that before. And he said, that's where everybody starts. It's like... I know you're laughing, but that was really deep for me. I I mean, it just really had never penetrated in my mind that these famous authors at some point had never written. When I was going through that whole thing about writing, you know, because I kept getting prophetic words for that too, and finally God said, you know, Wendy, if you die before you've ever written a book... In heaven, you're still going to be known as an author. Because it was one of the things I created you for. And I had this thought, if I was created for it, how hard can it be? Maybe it can, you know, just flow. So often, we just think we're not enough. We have to believe we can do it before we can do it. Don't wait for proof. Actually hear God. What has he been saying? What has other people been saying over my life? Don't use your past to determine your future. One way that God told me, he said, Wendy, stop making your past the God of your future. I'm the God of your future. Can you believe something different? Can you go against everything that you believe and feel so true? You know, in 2 Corinthians 10, when it says, take every thought captive, do you know why it says, take every thought captive? Because it's not going to surrender. There is going to be a warfare. And the longer you believed it, the more warfare you'll have to change that pattern in your brain. We have to have a way to know when we're believing things that just aren't true. I'm sure Steve talked about, you know, measuring truth by, by whether there's hope involved or not. I mean, that's so... That changed our life right there. Oh, I have no hope for this. I must be believing a lie. You know, this is for free. But one of my favorite questions when I don't have hope for something is this. What do I need to believe to have hope for this? And it usually involves the supernatural. (laughs) Anybody here ever have a family member that you don't have hope for? Am I the only one who has relatives like that? But I, I had a relative that she was addicted to drugs and alcohol. She was homeless. All of her kids had been taken away from her. And literally, I think the reason I had no hope for her salvation was... The drugs had done such a number on her brain, I didn't think she could even understand the gospel. And so I would pray religiously, but with no hope. But then one day she called me and she said, Aunt Wendy, I just wanted you to know I accepted Jesus. And I'm like, How? <laughs> you know, right? Don't you want to know? Because in my mind, this was impossible. And she goes, well, I was sitting on a bench waiting for a bus, and I went into a trance. And she describes this whole big trance. And she said, "And when I, come out, when I came out of the trance, I was instantly delivered from all addiction. And I'm like, oh. <laughs> That's why I didn't have hope, is I had forgot to factor God in. What do I need to believe to have hope for this? Because you can't have faith without hope. I've met people who've tried it, and they're just weird. (laughs) We have to change our belief systems. Not just our head agreement with things, but what we actually believe. I call it inner unity. Because I remember once praying for unity for the body of Christ, because somebody came up with a theology that we can't have renewal until the body of Christ is in unity, which was very depressing. (laughs) And so I'm praying for unity for the body of Christ, and I hear God go, Wendy, if I could just get you into unity with yourself, I could change the world. Because if you are not in unity, you will actually oppose yourself. You actually, if you try to do something you don't believe you can do, you will probably sabotage yourself unconsciously. Because it's very hard to live at a level that isn't congruent with how you see yourself. In ministry, I've had so many people who have these great anointings and everybody recognizes the anointing except for them. And so they keep sabotaging their ministry because it's uncomfortable for people to expect more from them than they believe they're capable of giving. So we do something stupid so they will lower their expectations. in our unity. In the 90s, when Bill Johnson would come and preach at our church, it was so weird because he would preach things and then the people would come up to Steve and I and go, did you hear what he said? That rocked my world. And when he read that scripture, it just exploded truth. And I'd be thinking, we've said that. how come it didn't rock your world when we said it? (laughs) Years later, God reminded me of that, and he said, do you want to know why it didn't rock their world when you said it? And I'm like, why? And he goes, well, the more inner unity you have with a truth, the more weight and authority it carries when you speak it. We've all seen it. There's certain people who have a certain message. They go all over the world preaching and it changes lives. Because they are so convinced that it's true. They are so in unity with it. And we need to go after inner unity with the word of God. Those things he's laid on our hearts. Till our whole being is convinced, even... In the face of opposition, we're convinced it's true. Nothing can move me from this. That's what faith is. Faith is inner unity. I remember reading the whole story about the... The children of Israel, they're just about to go into the promised land. And God tells Moses, you know, I've given you the land. So they go and check out the land. And like I mentioned earlier, ten of them come back and say, we're too small, they're too big, we can't take it. And I had this revelation and I thought, oh... I think I know what the problem for them was. Because I do it all the time. If God's given me the land, why do I have to fight for it? Right? If God's given me healing, why do I have to fight for it? If God's given me prosperity, why do I have to fight for it? And that question came to my mind, and then I heard... A scripture go through my mind in Ephesians 6. It says, and take up the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. And it hit me. Oh, it's called a sword because we're supposed to kill something with it. Can I suggest that if you've never killed anything with the Word of God, you've never used the Word of God correctly? The reason we do declarations is because it's like a warrior practicing with his sword before the battle. They're getting used to the feel of it. They're becoming one with it. And then, in the midst of the battle, they can kill the giant. But if you try to just pull out a scripture... You've never used before, you're not one with and try to kill a giant you may not experience success The word of God is powerful The problem is is that it's only as powerful as you believe it to be. Change the way you think. What's possible? And the first thing to change is to change your view of you. Can you see yourself doing something different than what you've seen in the past? If faith is visionary, then we have to actually see something different. Instead of rehearsing the way it was before, why don't we allow God to show us a different outcome? I read a secular book on psychiatry, very interesting. It was by a a psychiatrist who used to be a plastic surgeon. And he would fix people's faces who had deformities, make them beautiful, and he was so frustrated because he could change what they looked like on the outside, but he couldn't convince them they were beautiful. And so he went into psychology. And in the book, he said this, when the will and the imagination are at odds the imagination will always win. When I read that, I thought, oh, that's the problem. Because I I had a friend at the time who was addicted to smoking, and I knew she wanted to be free. And I knew she was using all the willpower she had to change. And people would counsel her and say, well, when you really want to, You'll do it. But when I read that, I realized you can't be free until you... If you're in bondage to nicotine, you can use all the willpower you have, but until you can imagine yourself free, you'll always be beneath it. You cannot overcome what you believe you're a victim to. Don't even try to overcome it until you start believing that you're above it. And you're not using your past experience to determine whether you're above it. You're using the word of God to determine you're above it. I'm more powerful than this. You know, in... I personally believe that the body of Christ needs to take the imagination back out of the hands of the enemy and put it in the hands of God. A sanctified imagination because I believe that the imagination was created for faith. So he can describe to us things we've never seen or experienced because if we see it, We will attach faith to it. There's a reason why the enemy wants you to worry. He wants, you know, whenever my husband was late when we first got married, I would start picturing him dead and how I was going to act at the funeral and, (laughs) you know, I'm going to be a good Christian. I'm going to, you know, hold on to my faith. I mean, I had it all imagined out. There's a reason why the enemy wants you to worry and imagine bad happening. He knows if you see it, you will attach faith to it. Because faith is visionary. What do you keep envisioning? You know, the testimony is what? It's a rehearsal of things that God's done. Do you really want your testimony to be about your last great hurt? Why do we keep testifying to how bad that person was to me? If you keep rehearsing it, it becomes your testimony. Do you know what testimony means do it again. (laughs) I heard a doctor say once that your brain literally does not know the difference between an actual event and something that you've imagined. It can't make the call. It's like a computer. And so this is what he said. He said, if... If you offend me, and I go home and rehearse and think about it 30 times, then my brain doesn't know the difference between the one event and the 30 rehearsals. So the next time I see you, you're going to be wondering why I'm overreacting. All I did was this. No, you did it 31 times. It's why we use phrases like you always. Well, no, they don't always. It's just that you only rehearse the times they do. Your brain hasn't highlighted the times they didn't. In 2 Corinthians 10, it talks about tearing down strongholds. And a stronghold is a place that's been taken and it's defending its right to be there. So an army comes in, takes the mountain and then it creates a stronghold so the mountain's not taken and literally your brain has strongholds. That means every single day your brain is looking for proof of what it already believes so that the stronghold won't be taken down. If you believe nobody likes you, then every day your brain is looking for proof that nobody likes you. And it will highlight the one or two people who don't like you, and you won't even notice the hundred people who do. And you'll misinterpret what people do to back up your current belief. What are you looking for? You'll know what you really believe by what you're always looking for proof of. I knew he didn't like me. There's the proof. I knew I was a failure. I knew I couldn't do this. Those phrases means you have a stronghold. Because you're looking for proof of it. I always felt inadequate could never do enough or at least it seemed like it was never enough and in fact every single night I would go through my head all the things that proved I wasn't enough I should have done this I shouldn't have said that you know it would just run through my mind and finally one day God said Wendy why are you building altars to your failures and I'm like Is that what I'm doing? I said, yeah, and it's not scriptural. (laughs) I never had my people, he said, build altars and memorials to their failures. Only to their successes. We're supposed to build altars and memorials to our success. Unfortunately, as Christians, we're afraid of pride, so we try not to notice when we succeed. Why is it that many people think they're a failure when they've had five times as many successes as failures in their life? I'll tell you why. They never rehearsed the success. They only rehearsed the failures until their brain believed they'd had zillions of failures. It was two that you've rehearsed a 100 times. We have to stop creating identity out of a few events in our life. We have to consciously decide to remember those last great events. Hey, I did pretty well then. Yeah. Because we want to change how we view ourselves. They did a study on um, people who started out with no money and became millionaires, and sometimes became millionaires, lost all their money, and became millionaires again, two or three times. And the study, they wanted to know, why is it that these few set of people can start with nothing and become a millionaire over and over again when the average person will never become a millionaire? And what they came up with in the study was that these people did not believe they were wealthy because they had money. They had money, they believed they had money because they were wealthy. In other words, who they were created the wealth. Most of us, when we do find wealth, we think it's this great cosmic accident. It couldn't be because of who I am, my work ethic, my ability to, you know, give and be generous. And we, when we do get success, we feel like we have to hoard it and hold on to it and and be vigilant about it because if we lose it, we can't do it again. That's because you don't believe it was within you. If we want to see something different in this next year, 2020, let's believe something different. Let's give our imagination to God. What's possible? And dream back. One of my dreams that I haven't seen fulfilled yet is that I want to walk by sick people and have them accidentally get healed. And I've dreamed of it so much that I've even got down what I'm going to say. Oh, I'm sorry, did you accidentally get healed, you know? (laughs) That happens. Worry is imagining a future without God. My husband and I, we have a game we play called worrying with God. Instead of worrying about not enough money coming in, we thought, let's just worry about, you know, Scripture says that if you give, it'll be given back to you, pressed down, you know, shaken together and running over. So let's worry about that. what are we going to do with all this excess money? (laughs) You know, we need a list of worthy charities and places for donations. You know, it's funny because we all believe Scripture that if we're good stewards and we're faithful and, you know, generous, that it'll come back to us. But what are you preparing for? whatever you're preparing for will reveal what you really believe. If you're preparing for lack at the end of the month, it's probably because you believe in lack. (laughs) Don't get discouraged about it. It's just knowing, okay, I need to shore up my belief systems here and be okay with the fact that it may take a while, depending on how strong the stronghold is. I mean, there's some things that I'm still working on. Like even God told me when we were struggling financially and I was trying to figure out what's going on, what are we doing wrong? and God said you're not doing anything wrong the problem is you're only able to receive what you think you're worth and every time I try to bless you over and above how you value yourself you sabotage it so even in, in my current life sometimes he will warn me and he will say Wendy you're about to be promoted above how you value yourself I need you to work on this again so you don't sabotage it. Do you know how to determine your value is by what someone's willing to pay for you? And God was willing to pay his son for you. That's your value. We have to get off the performance train I tried to perform my way out of poverty, and it didn't work. In fact, it was a little frustrating. We were pastoring a church, and there was a gentleman in the church. He wasn't a good steward. He didn't really provide for his family well. We were constantly having to come in and bail him out. and We were trying to teach him stewardship, generosity, and He would pray for things like, oh, I want to go to that next great conference, so I'm calling in money. And I'm like, yeah, why don't you call in money for your kids? You know, getting a little frustrated. But what was irritating is God would keep blessing this man, sending him money to go to conferences and different stuff like that. And one day in anger, I'm like, God, we're trying to teach him something. You're getting in the way. <laughs> and he goes, "I'm trying to teach you something." I'm like, ah. it's not just about performance. It's about what you believe. This is the year of breakthrough. Get a vision for it, and then put it on your wall. Remind yourself of it every day. This is what I'm going to have breakthrough this year in. This is what I'm going to believe so strongly that it becomes not only a breakthrough for me, but for the whole body of Christ. I believe there's people out here right now who have an anointing to see breakthrough in so many areas, even weight loss. We need breakthrough. I don't think it's about just willpower. There's something deeper going on. We've been listening to the experts for too long. Somebody needs to say, I'm gonna find the answer in the in the spirit realm, and I'm gonna bring it into this realm to make people healthy. There is a solution. So Father, just come, Holy Spirit. Put it on the hearts and the minds of the people. There are things I'm just sensing really strongly. There are things that you're called to. You have a mountain in front of you and the mountain is there because you're bigger than it is and you are going to become the answer for everybody else who has that mountain. You are more than enough. He's saying, I've given you the land. Don't Don't say, it's bigger than you. Rise up and say, I am bigger than this mountain that I'm facing. I am not just a human being coming against this. I'm a child of the Most High God. I am more spirit than flesh. And my spirit has dominion over the things of this world. And this world is just waiting for you to be revealed in the greatness that God created within you. Come forth. Arise and shine. Arise and shine. It's the only way kings will come is to your rising. Throw aside the fear. Fear of pride is still just fear. We're not supposed to be fear-based. We're faith-based. Give us a vision, God. What have you called each one of us to overcome? To bring the heaven into this part. You know, in in Genesis, when the earth was void, it also says there was chaos. But between the Spirit and the Word, God created something beautiful out of chaos. You are called to bring something beautiful out of the chaos You are more than enough. You are lions. We give you our imagination, God. Sanctify it. Help us to envision what you want us to have faith for. A world that's never been seen before. A church that's never been revealed before. And may we become each other's greatest cheerleaders in whatever mountain, whatever sphere we're called to be overcomers in. Like he just he wants us to get a glimpse of the substance of his his realm. We're the doorway between the two realms. Because we're the only creature that is allowed access to both realms. We're spirit and flesh, we're seated in heavenly places. So we go into his realm to bring back the answer for this realm. Partner with the unseen realm. Partner with the unseen realm. Partner with the unseen realm. That will give you hope. We just thank you for that in Jesus' name. I have a team with me and I kind of asked them if they had any prophetic words or whatever Holy Spirit was doing. So Ash and come up, introduce yourselves. I really like prophetic words because, and if it sounds too wild to be true, it's probably true. You know, when God told um, Sarah and Abraham that they were going to have a child, Sarah laughed. If, you haven't received a prophetic word that makes you want to laugh. You may not have heard the full story. So what do you guys have?
2: Uh, Is this on? Okay, great. (laughs) Hi, my name's Ash. Um, Yeah, so uh, during worship, the Lord showed me this picture um, of him cutting through a tent Like I was sitting in this green tent and I just suddenly saw this like knife slash through the front of the tent. Um, And I heard that there are people who feel like they're disconnected from the Lord. You can see him. You can hear him. You believe all the right things about him. You're doing all the right things, but you feel disconnected and you feel like there's a wall. You feel like it's something big in between you and the Lord. And I saw him just like cutting. It's just this piece of cloth. It's not this giant wall. It's not this huge thing that you have to work through. It's just as simple as him just taking this little knife and just slashing it. And I heard that tonight the Lord is actually coming in and he's telling you the truth about your relationship with him. He's telling you the truth about where you stand with him. And I heard that just as Wendy is talking about setting up new foundations of belief systems and and what you're really believing and how that's shaping you, I heard that the Lord is actually creating foundations that are without fear, that you can actually be in the presence of the Lord without being afraid of where you stand with him. He's actually solidifying your relationship with him. Um, So actually, if you guys want to just close your eyes, I'm just going to read this verse over you in Psalm 139. And I want you to just picture that knife just slashing through anything that might make you feel disconnected from the Lord whether it's shame, whether it's fear, whether it's lies you're believing, anything, he's just going to cut through it tonight and there's going to be a release of new intimacy with the father like never before. I'm just going to read this over you. Where could I go from your spirit? Where could I run and hide from your face? If I go up to heaven, you're there. If I go down to the realm of the dead, you're there too. If I fly with wings into the shining dawn, you're there. If I fly into the radiant sunset, you're there waiting. Wherever I go, your hand will guide me. Your strength will empower me. It's impossible to disappear from you or to ask the darkness to hide me, for your presence is everywhere, bringing light into my night.
3: Uh, my name is Shereen. I was actually here one year ago with Steve <laughs> and um, um, and I just wanted to tell you that after that trip, it just completely changed my life. That trip really just visiting this church really changed my mind and, and my belief about who I was and um, in worship tonight, I just got a glimpse of um, you don 't know how long you 've been apart from somebody until you 've seen the kids you know how how much the kids have grown. And so God just kind of showed me in the spirit, like he showed me first myself and how much I've grown in the last year, and then the church, and how the transformation from the inside just looks the stage is lower and um, and I just saw the Lord and I heard him just say he's giving this church a new platform, just a new a new stage to come and and, and actually reach people, and it's lower, and so a level where he can look at you can look at people and see them eye to eye. But I also saw that when um, what, what I felt the Lord was on was that inner unity. And um, that is the breakthrough that I've got this whole year. The inner, the transformation happened from the inside, just like the building. Um, and I don't quite know how to release this, but um, I just sensed like, if, um, the butterfly to the cocoon. like if, you, if that resonated with you, like if you feel like you're the, um, the caterpillar, would you be brave enough to stand up? If you, if, if you think that you still are a caterpillar and you're not wanting to fly, will you please stand up? Yeah. So um, would you close your eyes and just put your hand on your heart? And would you picture, actually, would you picture yourself looking at you in the mirror? And if um, you you just repeat after me if this sounds real to you. Please forgive me.
1: Please forgive me.
3: For being so mean to you.
1: For being so mean to
3: you. For comparing you to somebody else's so to comparing you to somebody else.
1: For comparing myself to somebody else.
3: For the judgment that I've said to you.
1: And the judgment I've said to you.
3: I bless you.
1: I bless you.
3: You're amazing.
1: You're amazing.
3: You're ready to fly.
1: I'm ready to fly.
3: God has created you.
1: God has created you
3: for higher purposes. For
1: higher purposes.
3: He's created you.
1: He's created you
3: for more than you can even imagine.
1: For more than you can even imagine. I love you. I love you.
3: And I thank you.
1: I thank you. Amen.
4: Wow! Hi, my name's Talitha.
0: Yep.
4: I'm Talitha. Um, feels so good in here. So good to be with you guys. Um, as when he was speaking, and even in worship, I just saw the Lord like ripping labels off of people's heads and um, especially in the areas of like rejection and as Wendy was speaking of lies, I'm unlovable, I'm not worthy. Um, I saw the, the Lord ripping those labels off of people's heads and actually replacing them with the truth and there's just a real grace in the room tonight for, for um, to, re- you know, Romans 12 too, it talks about renewing the mind um, and to actually step into that, renewing the mind to the truth of who we actually are and identity is such a strong thing that you guys carry as a church family and I see like a picture of a tap that's broken like you can't turn it off and the water's just gushing and gushing and I just hear the Lord say that you guys are unstoppable and I just see you running after identity and even the call that's on your life I'm in a church with powerful people and there's such a great call on you as individuals but as a church body and I just see that 2020 the Lord's saying that it's a year to run that you are unstoppable and it starts with actually coming into the inner unity of who God says you are and so there's just a grace in the room tonight to pull on of um just being able to step into that like for myself I know that's been such a process of actually what does it look like Lord to renew the mind you know the, the practical aspects and I see the Lord even giving us uh your tools and keys to walk out practically what it means to renew the mind and actually see transformation happen in your lives so I just want to bless you with that
1: so before we end that just reminded me I had a prophetic word where I f- it's for the church this local church um, during worship I just felt this new level of authority that you guys are going to carry, um, that it's it's increasing its depth and breadth, and that God's actually going to require you to speak things that feel like, who am I to say that? And And it's not just, you know, the pastors, I feel like it's for the whole church, that each one is going to rise up to a whole new authority in the spirit realm. For Because once you know who you are, you'll do what you were created to do with more authority. You'll know, you know, the plan has never changed. The plan was to take dominion and to bring order on the earth. It's still the plan. Only we had to be recreated to do it. And so just, you know, don't be afraid of the authority of God. I believe that we don't need more environmentalists. We just need some people who know who they are. You know, let's throw a stick in that river and have it become pure. Oh, you're out of water? Let me just hit this rock. That's going to start happening. Supernatural answers coming through you. So thanks for having us here. You guys are just doing such a great job. Just bless you in Jesus' name.
0: tonight. Thank you guys for coming. I hope that you clap like that for me when I walk off the stage in a second, but hey, have a, have a great evening. We'll see you if, if you want to join us tomorrow morning, 9.30 and 11.30, but then we're having another service tomorrow night at 6 p.m. So, hope to see you.